It's time for the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast with CNHI Sports Indiana's George Brimmer, your number one source for the latest Colts news, information, and discussion. It's time to kick things off. Hello, Colts fans. Welcome to the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast. I'm your producer, Heather B., and I'm here with the CNHI Sports Indiana Executive Director, Colts Beat Writer, and your host, George Bremer. George, let's get right to the topic that everybody is talking about, Luck Shoulder. Yesterday, Jason Luckenfora reported on CBSSports.com that he's heard rumblings around the NFL that Luck will start the season on PUP and thus miss the first six games of the season. What have you heard from the Colts? Yeah, everything that I've heard from the Colts is that the status has not changed since we talked to Chris Ballard over a week ago. Uh, He said at that time that they expected that Andrew Luck would come off the pup list prior to the regular season. They can do that at any time between now and the start of the regular season, so there's no rush, there's no hurry there. But I'm not surprised that there are rumors out there swirling because there's really been a tight lid on this entire situation. Not many leaks at all coming out of that front office. And when that happens, people start to, their minds start to wonder, you know, and and then you kind of open the door to let some of these rumors uh, out and and get out into the the ether, if you will. And uh, I I don't think they're done. You know, I I, I think this is really just in many ways just beginning, because the Colts are going to be extremely patient with this situation. This is. I keep saying this, but it remains true. This is as much about 2027 as it is about 2017. They're not going to skip any steps in this rehab. They've been very clear about this. Everybody from Chuck Pagano to Chris Ballard to Andrew Luck himself, this is a very patient approach. They're going to make sure they do this right so that when he comes back, it's in the past and they don't have to worry about this shoulder again because really the last two years – it's been a problem. It's phenomenal to think about that when you look at last year, which was probably Andrew Luck's most efficient year as a pro, and he played the whole year with a frayed labrum. You know, it. I think the team, uh, everybody involved in decision making right now, really wants to see what Andrew like Luck can look like when he's healthy. And thus far, Chris Ballard has given us no reason to doubt him. Right? Exactly. You know, at this point, everything he said, he's been true to. Uh, when a situation has changed after he's talked to us, the team has quickly put out a statement to let us know, like with the Malik Hooker situation. You know, he talked to us the same day he told us Luck would be off pup early and said the Hooker was good to go. Everything was on track. It was ready to go for training camp. And then that day something happened during the conditioning test and, and he was, you know, set back a little bit. So they've been very open and really until – that trust is broken. There's no reason not to believe what we're hearing from the front office. And uh, like I said, everything that I've heard right now is their stance has not changed. Doesn't mean it won't change. But at this point, they still expect Andrew Luck to come off the pup before the start of the regular season. That also, and there's a key distinction here, that doesn't mean he'll start the regular season opener at Los Angeles. It just means he wouldn't have to miss the first six games of the regular season. All right. That being said, we're going to move on from it. I think as Andrew Luck himself said in the first day we talked to him at camp, Colts fans don't freak out. Uh, I think people have underestimated Andrew Luck before, and he's always proved them wrong. Uh, so I would not doubt that he's going to be back for that first game, and if not for the first game, for the second one. Uh, so training camp, we're a couple days in now. Uh, we've got to see the team at Lucas Oil Stadium. Uh, we've seen them one day in pads. Uh, so I want to kind of go over five things that I've learned from camp thus far. So uh, number one is that the talk of competition at uh, various spots 
is real. Uh, at the wide receiver spot, number three, leading into training camp, a lot of people talked about Kamar Aiken being the guy that looked like he was going to secure that number three spot. But as we're going through the first couple days of training camp, Chester Rogers is the definitive number three right now. Yeah, Chester from Grambling, right? I mean, that's, everybody kind of remembers that phrase from Andrew Luck last year and sort of when Chester Rogers came onto everybody's screens and uh, – he, he had a wonderful spring. He really stood out. Everybody was noticing how well he was playing, and that carried over into training camp, and he has been you know through three practices, which, again, we're in early August here. There's, there's nothing written in stone, but through three practices, he's been the number three receiver, and I do think that that's going to be a good competition all the way through this summer, really, between Rodgers, Philip Dorsett, who people tend to forget about, and Kamar Aiken, who's the big free agent addition. So uh, I think they're all going to be used in different situations uh, because they're really – the thing of it is Rodgers is probably the closest guy on this roster right now to being a slot receiver. They don't have a really natural slot guy. And so I think you're going to see them kind of mix and match things, even with T.Y. Hilton and Dante Moncrief and and trying to switch things up depending on what personnel is on the field. You'll see, I think, at some point all three of those guys – uh, Rodgers, Aiken, and Dorsett working in with the first team. and But there is no doubt Rodgers has, has risen to the top of that depth chart, and it's one of the things that, that has been of note here in the early going of training camp. Staying in that wide receiver group, one of the people I've noticed is JoJo Natson. Now, that's probably not a name a lot of people know yet, uh, but if when you watch the first preseason game, you probably will because he'll look like the middle schooler out there running around on the field. Natson is five listed at five seven. I think he might get there. Uh, he might be actually coming a little shorter than that. Uh, so obviously, I've just noticed him because he's quite short out there, especially compared to some of the guys like Zach Banner. Um, and Chris, Those two should never stand next. No, to one they another. should not. Uh, so, but what? Who are some of the guys that have stood out to you for the right reasons? Well, I'll tell you, Natson is a guy to watch too because I think he he's got a role in the return game, and I think it's going to be really interesting when the preseason games begin to see how how he fits in there as a kick returner, as a punt returner. Uh, when you're that size, you're obviously extremely quick. You know that that's what he brings to the table. So it'll be very interesting to see how that develops with him uh, throughout the summer. Some other guys that I think are under the radar, maybe people aren't paying much, as much attention to, Tyvis Powell is really a name to watch. He's a guy who was in Seattle last year as a rookie, started this spring with Cleveland, got cut during OTAs, and, and came over immediately on waivers to the Colts. But what's interesting about that is one of the guys that Chris Ballard brought into this front office is Ed Dodds. And Dodds did a lot of work in building the Legion of Boom up there in Seattle. He's very renowned for his scouting ability, for his eye for talent. And you have to believe that he had a big role in bringing Tyvis Powell over to Indianapolis. Now, again, it's very early in training camp. I think the worst thing you can do is start making a bunch of broad judgments and and decrees off of just a couple practices. But Tyvis Powell has looked good in the defensive backfield. He's played a little safety. He's played a little cornerback. He had two interceptions in one recent practice. I think he's a guy who maybe a lot of people aren't talking about that it's going to be interesting to see how he develops as the bullets go live, as he gets more comfortable in this system, and and as the Colts find out more about him. Another guy who maybe isn't going to be under the radar for long is, is Grover Stewart. 
He's a rookie. I think he was a fifth round pick. He came from a Division two school when the actually I think it was at the very end of the fourth round. Uh, but when he was picked, a lot of people were who, you know, and myself was like, did they just draft a Sesame Street character? I'm not really sure. You know, where, I hadn't heard this name before. Uh, he's for real. He's the real deal. He He's a big guy, but he's incredibly quick for his size. He's very powerful. He really flashed as early as the rookie mini camp, and that's carried over into training camp. Now, he's at a position that might be the deepest group on the team right now in defensive line. So it's it's hard to say how big of a role he may earn as a rookie, but it's good to see guys, really young guys like that, making an impact, making themselves noticed this early. I think another thing we've learned so far and was made very apparent on that first padded practice was this team is very concerned about it, its image. They're concerned that people think they're soft, uh, and they're trying to correct that. Yeah, I mean, Chuck Pagano got a little testy with us during the, the press conference after practice. Uh, just it, it's something that really got brought up by Ballard as early as anyone. The idea that this needed to be a more physical training camp, that you can't be a physical defense and, and a good tackling defense, which – Nobody listening to this podcast needs me to tell them the Colts have struggled with tackling in recent years. And if you've watched the game, you're well aware that that's one of the weaknesses this team has had. And so that's what they're focused on. And they're hyper-focused on it. Now, I thought it was interesting, John Simon, who talked to us after that first padded practice, he said, look, I never thought this team wasn't physical. They've got Frank Gore at running back. Anybody who has Frank Gore in the backfield is a tough physical football team. But... I think at the same time, he, he also said, look, one practice is great. People are going to go out for that first padded practice. They're going to be physical. They're going to fly around. They're excited. They get that adrenaline running. He wants to see what it's going to be like a week from now, two weeks from now, after some of the physical tolls start happening, who's still out there, who's still just as excited to hit and to pop and to, to make a, a physical play. And uh, I think that's going to be a focus focus point throughout the summer and it starts at the very top it really starts with Chris Ballard all the way down I was happened to be by the door uh, that first padded practice morning when Chris Ballard came onto the field and he stepped out and he kind of looked around and he said finally we can play football Uh, so I think it was quite evident that he didn't consider it football until they had pads on kind of connected with that physicality that that fierceness Uh, one of the things we've also learned is that Vontae Davis is a little feisty. Uh, so is T.Y. Hilton, for that matter. You know, Vontae's been more energetic. I'm looking for the right word there. Really, going back into the spring, I think he understands there's a couple things going on with Vontae Davis right now. One, it's the last year of his contract. And he's 29 years old, which isn't old in normal people years. But in the NFL, at the cornerback position, he's getting up there. This is probably going to be the last big, quote-unquote, contract that he signed. So I know that he has said again and again that's not on his mind. It's not one of the focus points for him. But it's stuff to imagine that it's really completely out of his head. But also, you look around the rest of the secondary right now, the top two picks in the draft were Malik Hooker at safety and Quincy Wilson at cornerback, two really young guys. Uh, there's a lot of new faces overall in that group, whether they came through the draft or, or however else they got here. A lot of young faces, and I think he realizes he needs to be a leader this year, and he's taken on that role very seriously. And I think you saw that in that first padded practice with his fire. You know, he got into a little skirmish early on with T.Y. Hilton. Later, there was a bigger skirmish, really, with, with Philip Dorsett. I think it's just a natural part of this Vontae Davis evolution where he's going to be a leader. He's going to back up his words with his actions. 
And we've always known that Davis was a physical guy. I mean, just go back a few years to the playoff game against the Bengals and watch the hit that he put on a running back out in the flat. I think it was Giovanni Bernard. I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. Uh, if you ever question whether Vontae Davis is a physical guy, just go look that up, and, and I think they'll answer any questions you have. As far as T.Y. Hilton goes, he's hungry, and I think that's really interesting. Here's a guy who led the league last year in receiving yards, over 1,400 receiving yards, and he feels disrespected still. You know, He feels like he's not considered a top-five wide receiver around the NFL. He feels like his stats say that he are that he is, and I think he's on a mission to go out and get even better this year. He said specifically he wants to be a double-digit touchdown guy. If there's one thing T.Y. Hilton still hasn't accomplished in the NFL, that's probably it. Seven TDs, the most he's had in a season. I think he wants to get at least 10 this year. I think it's an achievable goal. And I think with both those guys, you're going to see a fire this year and a competitiveness this year. And you really started to see it uh, from the very, very early stages of the training camp. One of the players we've had the pleasure of watching the evolution of the last couple of years during training camp has been Eric Swope. Was a basketball player in college, made the transition to the NFL as a tight end. Uh, when he started his first training camp, you could tell the kid did not know anything about football. They were having to explain drills to him. I think they even had to show him how to put on his helmet. They had to show um, him how to put on pads. Yeah, yeah, he, you know, he just had no idea. And this year, you can see that everything has finally clicked. You know, he runs through the drills without instruction. He is natural cutting, catching the football. He no longer looks like a basketball player. Yeah, hundred percent. I think we've always known that he was a good athlete. I mean, that was clear from his first day in his first training camp. Uh, and you see that in the way that he maintains his body. I mean, there was a catch the other day where he caught it at an awkward angle and he kind of landed on one foot, but he quickly found that balance, was able to, to right himself and, and get, you know, get yardage after the play. And there aren't a lot of guys in the league that can make that play. I mean, it's hard for me to really verbalize. But if you saw it visually, it, there is a real athleticism to everything he does. And a real power now, I think, starting to develop, too, because he's not a little guy. That, that's another part of it, you know. Uh, he wasn't a guard in basketball. He was a post player, you know. And I think he's starting to kind of – he talked about it last year that he no longer even thinks of himself as a basketball player turning into a football player. You know, he's become a football guy. And he's going to play a very, very big role for this team this year. Dwayne Allen is gone, traded to New England – it's Jack Doyle and it's Eric Swope at the top of that tight end group. And I think last year you, you saw some flashes, 19.3 yards per catch. That's not bad. I know it's a small sample size. Don't get me wrong. But that is, I think, an example of, of what he's capable of. So uh, I think that there could be big things ahead for Eric Swope this year. And we kind of maybe talked to him a little bit about that this week. Yeah, Eric Swope is one of my favorite players to talk to. He, it's just so interesting to listen to him talk about a game that he's literally just still learning uh, and we did talk to him at training camp earlier this week and we'll be back with that in just a minute it's time to go inside the locker room with cnhi sports indiana's george bremer this week's inside the locker room guest is eric swope as you may have guessed from our previous conversation and uh, i really think that he's one of the more intriguing guys on this team because of his athletic talent because of the fact that his role has expanded so much this year, but also because of how good he is in interviews. And I think you're going to see that in this conversation here. Uh, Eric Swope is, is a really intelligent guy. He's a really thoughtful guy and he's really a fun guy to talk to. So I hope that you enjoy listening to him as much as we enjoyed talking with him. 
year you, you seem to add a little bit to your game and a little more each time. Is it a different focus this year because you know you know that, that your role has expanded as you enter training camp? Uh, truthfully, no. I mean, regardless of what my role is, I need to become a better tight end. That's just a general consensus in every facet of the game. So when I'm going into my offseason, I'm trying to work on basically everything, uh, trying to make strides, get a sense of my you know in-season program, my weekly program. Um, it's a laundry list because, you know, most guys have been doing this their whole lives, so they have something they're comfortable with. And for me, it's still getting that, you know, down packed. How big was last year just to get out there in live game reps and, and have success? Uh, confidence building. You know, I've been in this going on my fourth season now and, and last year to play all 16 games and, you know, get to see some different defenses and different challenges, weather, you know, so on and so forth. Build a lot of confidence. I know I talked to you about this in the locker room last year, but just for people who are going to listen to this, what was it like when you caught that first touchdown pass in Minnesota? <laughs> uh, dream come true. I didn't know when the moment would come. I'd hoped it came, you know, my first uh, season out there. And that was, I would say, the first game that I would say my mind relaxed and, you know, got an, an awesome opportunity to make a huge play. You still have that football? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's sitting right in my room. <laughs> How, uh, how different has this spring been and now the summer started without Andrew Luck out there? Um, you know, it's a learning process for all of us. Um, whether Andrew's there or not, you know, of course we want him back as soon as he can get out. But, you know, we're all learning. We're all getting more and more comfortable with the offense. So it's just continuing to work, continuing to study and work your process. Are these reps good for Steven and Scott and, and even Philip Walker because they get a chance to maybe build some relationships? With oh, yeah. Guys? Yeah, they're huge. As they can get more and more comfortable with the throws, what the coaches are asking of them. You know, it's just huge for their game. I remember when Rob Chudzinski first came here, there was a lot of talk. He was a tight end. Mm -hmm. He coached tight ends. He, he's been a, involved in the position a lot. Has he helped uh, grow that position here for, for you guys? Yeah, I know for me personally, when I first came to the Colts, uh, I spent a lot of time with Chud when he was a special assistant. Um, we would come in on our off day and go through tape, and he was teaching me the basics and you know so on and so forth. So Chud has been very instrumental, and he really challenges us, and I think it's going to be great moving forward. That room's changed a lot this year. What's the chemistry like now? Um, it's, it's great. You know, it was great last year. It's great this year. You know, new guys, new faces, new roles. But we still have the same understanding of what we need to do on the field. Is there a sense full year two in Chud's offense? Is there a sense that the group as a unit can move forward? Oh, definitely. I, I thought, you know, again, going into last season, that last month, I felt like we all as a, as a unit got comfortable with the calls, you know, everything moving forward. And, um, yeah, just getting another year in your belt, I think it's going to help everybody. you have a personal goal for training camp, something you want to accomplish before you're done? Uh, just make strides in the right direction. Uh, that, you know, consistency would be my main thing. All right, thanks a lot. Thanks to Eric Swope for joining us on Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. We've got a few sound bites from a couple of guys at, at camp so far this week. Uh, the first one is John Simon. I love working with them. I think we work well together. We communicate well between one another out there on the field. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of games where I've played the Patriots in the past, and, and he's screwed us up a little bit. So happy to have him on the same side of the ball. Simon and Sheard are really among the most settled position groups right now, I think, on that defense. You look at the defense, there could be as few as maybe four starters coming back from last year. It's wide open all over the place. But really, from the start of OTAs, the outside linebacker spots have been John Simon and, and Jabal Sheard. So I think it's good to hear from him that things are coming along well because that's going to be a really key aspect of this team. And it's going to be really important, I think, on paper, this front seven is a better run defense than it has been in the past. It's tougher. It's more physical. I know we're going to hear that a lot. Uh, but there's still some questions about how they're going to get after the quarterback. 
Both of these guys have shown flashes of it in smaller roles and complementary roles. This year, they're going to be the main guys. So they're taking on a bigger role, an expanded role, and it's kind of, I think, going to be fun to watch them grow together as a team. I think the ladies of Colts Nation are quickly going to make John Simon one of their favorite players. Uh, another favorite among the ladies is Dante Moncrief, and if he's not now, he will be. Uh, if you check out the picture on my Twitter account, Heather B T H B, uh, of him holding his baby daughter during the practice at Lucas Oil Stadium, it's adorable. Uh, but back to business. Um, here we've got him talking about uh, taking reps during practice without Andrew Luck. Uh, uh, no, it's not tough. I mean, like I said, we got to get time down with those guys also, man. 12 is great. When he come back, he's gonna, still going to be 12. So we just got to get time down with those guys until he come back. You know, I think all the players right now are saying all the right things in terms of uh, they have trust in Scott Tolzien and, and they believe that, that things are going to go well if, if they need to. And, and honestly, Chris Ballard, in his introductory press conference back in January, said this will never be about one guy. And he's been very very uh, strict to that. You know, he continues to say that they've got to find ways to win no matter who's under center. But that being said, there's no question. Everybody involved with this team, everybody on the field out there this summer can't wait to see Andrew Luck back under center. And it's good to see. You could almost hear the excitement in, in Moncrief's voice when he just mentions number 12. When Andrew Luck does come back, it'll be important that that offensive line protects him now even more with that shoulder. Uh, and one of those guys is Joe Hegg. He's made the le- move to left guard, uh, and he talked a little bit about that mean streak on the offensive line. Yeah, I mean, we've only had three practices, but I think that you can kind of tell that there's a whole, there's a little bit of a different mentality that we're starting to build on, uh, and I'm really you know, excited to see how that, that turns out. You know, I think the offensive line, as it has been every year, is going to be a real topic of conversation all throughout the preseason. Where are they at? How are they progressing? Uh, it's going to be a question mark that I think everybody's going to have until they get out into games and, and, and show that they have grown. Um, it's probably the one question on offense. I think when you look at defense, we talked earlier, wide open all over the field. When you look at the offense, most of the things are settled. You know, most of the skill position guys are back with the big if of whether or not Andrew Luck is healthy and when he's back on the field. But uh, aside from the quarterback spot and the health there, it's that offensive line. And I think everybody's interested to see how they grow. I think it's good to hear Haig talking about a more physical approach and about that mentality already coming to be part of the line uh, this early in camp. From our questions to yours, the mailbag segment is up next. Delivering answers to all of your burning questions about the Colts and the NFL, it's the Pony Express. So our first question this week is from Murray underscore 25. What percent chance do you think Luck starts his season within three games of the beginning of the season? Yeah, we kind of touched on that a little bit at the top of the show, but and you kind of hinted at it as well. Right now, I feel around 70-75% that he would be there by week three or week four at the latest uh, week one, I, I, I think it's kind of 50-50 right now. It, it's interesting, you know, we were talking the other day in the media trailer, and there's a sense because training camp is rolling and because the Hall of Fame game is is tonight, if you're listening to the, to the podcast uh, on its debut day here, uh, it makes it feel like the regular season is, is even closer than it is. But there's still really six weeks between now and the time that they need Andrew Luck to line up under center. So I think it's still about 50-50 whether or not he's going on week one. But I think if they if the team felt as though there was going to be a prolonged absence, there would have been more movement. 
at that backup spot. You would have seen somebody, a veteran, signed to come in and compete with Scott Tolzien and Stephen Morris. And, and really, until that happens, uh, I would continue to be confident you know, on the optimistic side about Andrew Luck's chances. Our next question comes from Mark Roud. Do you see any efforts from Chud to maximize the offensive talent with more rubs, geometric spacing, route creativity, etc.? Yeah, see, that's a great question and something that really isn't going to be answered in training camp, unfortunately. Uh, even though the, the practices are no longer open, it's still kind of the basic install stuff that they're going through right now. Uh, they haven't really gotten that far into game planning or scheming, and they really won't until about week one of the regular season. There was a rub route in the first padded day, and it did lead to a T.Y. Hilton touchdown. So, you know, will there be more of that this year? I think a lot of people are hoping so. I, I really think when you hear people complain that Andrew Luck holds the football too long, a lot of that's play design. And I think that's something that people really need to understand right now. A lot of that's waiting for guys to get open downfield. A lot of it's waiting for guys to get open, period. And, yeah, you know, if there's more creativity and, and all the things that, that, that the listener just mentioned there, uh, it's going to lead to a better, more dynamic offense this year. But, honestly, that's a question we're not going to be able to ask probably until they get to Los Angeles. His second question, did position groupings change at all from open field to red zone drills for 7-on-7 seven seven and 11-on-11? 11 11? And much in a similar vein, uh, position groupings right now change from snap to snap. There's there's a lot of rotation going on. You try to to look for patterns, to look for the most basic things that that you can see. Um, for instance, I think Jonathan Bostic has been in with the ones on just about every inside linebacker snap. Usually Antonio Morrison's been next to him. Sometimes it's Edwin Jackson. Uh, but there's really a rotation there. The the defensive backfield. There's some injuries going on. There's some people being protected right now. That's that's kind of a revolving door. So uh, really, as far as personnel groupings go, yeah, they have changed, but it's tough really to tell what to make of it right now because it's hard to say whether a change is scheme-based, whether it was a deliberate uh, move that, they're gonna, that you're going to see during the regular season or whether it's just somebody taking a rep off or just coaches kind of spitballing some things right now, I think, too, throwing things at the wall and see what sticks. They like to toy with different combinations. They like to see how guys play together, like to see what happens if you take this guy out here and put that guy in there. And they're still very much in the early stages of that, the beginning stages of, of figuring out all of that chemistry and, and all of the lineup questions. Question number three, any chance we retain Walker and cut Morris considering the new practice team rules? Yeah, that's going to be really interesting to see because I'll tell you one thing about Philip Walker. He throws a really pretty deep ball. Uh, that's one of the things that we've learned early in this camp. I think the practice at Lucas Oil Stadium ended with a long touchdown from him to Harvey Benford, and he hit Philip Dorsett for a deep play at one point during a practice at the facility. He's also hit your boy, JoJo Natson, a couple times deep. Uh, he, he's an intriguing guy because he played at Temple, a uh, little bit away from the national spotlight, but he had a lot of success. He was a winner there at a school that really hadn't accomplished a lot before he got there. Obviously not alone. Uh, Nate Harrison, one of his former teammates, with a fifth-round pick from this team. Uh, so there was some NFL talent around Temple. They had a first-rounder in Hassan Reddick. So not putting it all on Philip Walker's shoulders by any stretch of imagination. But I think he's a guy who's maybe a little under the radar. I know quarterbacks coach Brian Schottenheimer really really, really likes this guy. Uh, whether or not he can beat out Morris, that's going to depend on the games. But I'll tell you this, 
and we kind of touched on it earlier too in the show when Chris Ballard talks about open competition and the need to compete and the willingness to compete he's not joking and that goes down all the way to the number three quarterback spot so I think it's open I think there is a chance that that happens uh, but I think we're a long way from finding out how what the putting a percentage on how likely that that is to happen uh, and the final question from this listener, has Mac made you a believer yet? Not yet, but I'm not necessarily not a believer either. He flashed a little bit in that first padded practice. We we saw, I guess, what you would expect to see uh, from him, from what you know of him being at, at South Florida. He's quick. I don't think that's going to surprise anybody. He cuts very well, and he cuts very smoothly. He's got good hips. He's got good movement, uh, but, you know, the run game is one of the toughest things to even begin to evaluate right now because there isn't live tackling. And obviously, that changes everything because you don't know, can he make a guy miss in open space? Can he make a guy miss in the hole? None of that we're really going to find out until the preseason games begin. Uh, so am I a believer yet? I wouldn't say so, but I'm, I'm not a non-believer either. I will tell you this. Uh, Coach Rich, Rick Venturi, who we have a lot of respect for here on this podcast, he is a believer he really likes Marlon Mack, and he's really excited to see what he can do uh, as this season unfolds. Okay, our next question comes from at M. Strakonsky. If the Colts will be without luck for a significant time, do you think they would consider bringing in Colin Kaepernick? Yeah, that's going to be a question soon, perhaps. That's assuming, of course, the Ravens don't go ahead and, and make that move. My guess is probably not. I think that's something that would have been done already, and we talked about it a little bit earlier. I feel like if they thought they were going to be without him for a considerable amount of time, they already would have made a move like that. There were a lot of guys. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick was still available as late as April. There were a lot of guys out there this year on the market who had won games in this league who the Colts really either made cursory attempts to get or didn't even really start conversations with. So I will never say never, and certainly if there's a setback, you know, it's going to change the way the, the team is thinking. But uh, right now, I don't expect, again, going back to that conversation with, with Chris Ballard last week, he said there were talks about, you know, maybe bringing in veteran quarterbacks, but it's not something that they, they want to do at this time. It's not something they think they need to do at this time. And, uh, you know, for the time being, I'm going to say no to that one. Our final question comes from at fourth James, who has the awesome Twitter name Riverbottom Nightmare. Uh, two people I haven't heard a lot about yet: Bug Howard and Garrett Sickles. Any update? Yeah, you know Sickles is a guy out of Penn State who I think they're hoping can maybe bring a little pass rush to them. Uh, a lot of people think he came out a little too early; would have benefited from staying another year in college. He put a nice move on. I believe it was Denzel Good during one-on-one drills uh, the other day in practice, but uh, hasn't flashed a lot yet. Guys like that don't get a lot of opportunities really to flash during camp practices because the guys who are working with the, the third team and, and beyond, they just don't get a lot of reps. You don't see a lot of them until, ironically, the preseason games begin, and then you may see them the whole second half or at least the whole fourth quarter. So uh, I know there are some natural traits with Sickles that they really like. Bug Howard, very similarly, I, I, don't, I can't point to any play or, or any moment so far in training camp where I really remember him, but he's a big receiver. They're really looking for big receivers. That's something that they've been trying to add here for, for the last couple of years, and he's going to get plenty of opportunities when the games begin to, to show what he can do as well. All right, that's it for the Pony Express for this week. George, how can people send you questions? Yeah, you can 
hit me up at my Twitter account, which is at GM Bremer. You can leave a question on my professional Facebook page, which is George M. Bremer. Or you can leave us a voicemail on our Google Voice account. The number there is 765-400-0239. So any of those ways will work, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, like I said on the very first episode last week, uh, I really a big part of this for me is interacting with the Colts fans and, and trying to find out what they're thinking about the team and, and share what we can as far as what we know. When we come back, the final segment of our show. Horseshoes and hand grenades, ranking this week's Colts news. We're back with the final segment of our show, Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. George each week hands out some horseshoes, he hands out some hand grenades, and we start this week with a horseshoe for who you've called the defensive star of camp. Yeah, Jonathan Hankins is going to make a real big difference, I think, on this defense. He's kind of a beast that we have not seen before in Indianapolis uh, in quite some time. He He's a guy who is going to get that pressure on the interior that everybody's been waiting to see for at least the last five seasons. But you go back really to, to the Peyton Manning defenses, you know, the Peyton Manning era defenses and the middle of that line has never really been looked at as a strength of this team. I think Jonathan Hankins is a guy who's got the quickness. He's got the power. He's got everything you need to make that happen. And we have seen that uh, continually really all the way back to OTAs starting to flash uh, they're just starting to get into pads. We're starting to see more of it from him there, more of that physicality. But he's a guy that I think is, is going to be a difference maker for this defense. And also, maybe more importantly, or at least equally importantly, he's going to be a big voice in the locker room. They lost a lot of leadership with guys like Dequell Jackson, Mike Adams, Robert Mathis moving on. And I think Jonathan Hankins is a guy who's kind of naturally starting to fill some of that void. That could be a really big addition for this team, and, and so far, so good on that front. Switching gears to hand grenades, we've got a big old hand grenade for all those luck rumors. Yeah, you know, and the thing of it is both ways, the good and the bad. Uh, we talked about it earlier, but I just feel like the luck rumors are a little bit out of control. And in all honesty, Chris Ballard has kept a very tight lid on this. Almost nothing is getting out. So if you're hearing something and it's not coming from the team or it's not coming from Chris Ballard himself, then odds are it's probably not worth your time. And, and I, I said at the top of the show, and I'm going to continue to say it, I don't think we're anywhere near the end of the luck rumors. I think you're going to hear again and again uh, because the lack of information coming out on this thing just puts so much room in there for, for speculation and I think you're going to hear so much of it between now and the time that Andrew Luck does finally come back onto a football field. The next horseshoe goes to a guy who I feel like we're going to be giving out a lot of horseshoes to throughout the season. I think he's ready for that breakout season that really will put him on the map. Yeah, the offensive star so far is Dante Moncrief. And I think, uh, you know, you mentioned his his beautiful child earlier, but I think that He's a more mature guy, too. And I think his, he's had some changes off the field uh, that have kind of affected him. He's another guy who's in the last year of his contract, who has a lot to play for. Uh, and you, you can see it. There's a sense of urgency. With him, I think the only question is, you know, can he avoid that kind of bad luck that he had a year ago? I, I hate to even say being injury prone because when somebody hits you in the back of your shoulder with a helmet, that's not being injury prone. That's being human, and, and you're going to get injured. You're going to go down for a little while after that. Uh, they miss Moncrief a lot when he's not on the field, and I think you've seen, uh, even without Andrew Luck being out there, you've seen Dante Moncrief kind of taking things to that next level. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if he can transition that to the regular season and, and carry on what's been a really good start for him. 
a hand grenade for USA Today. <laughs> yeah, uh, generally I don't pay much attention to predictions because they're just predictions. They're just people trying to throw things out there and see what can happen. But five and eleven, really, from from USA Today. Five and eleven. Uh, yeah, five and eleven. I look. The division is a lot tougher than it's been. There's no question about that. There are challenges for this football team. There's still a lot of questions on this new defense. It's a younger defense. It's more athletic defense. We don't know what it's going to look like when it all comes together. Uh, there's a lot of hope and optimism about the offensive line, but there's not a lot of production to, to come back on. And obviously the situation with Andrew Luck needs to clear itself out. But assuming that the team is is being forthright and that it doesn't look like he's going to miss a huge chunk of this season, assuming that the offensive line is telling the truth, and that they feel more together and that they have grown uh, from where they were a year ago. And assuming that this defense, just from its youth and athleticism, is going to be a step up from where it was a year ago, it's hard to see them slipping much from 8-8. Eight and eight. I could see 7-9. and nine. I could see maybe as high as 10-6. and six, But 5-11 and 11 just seems to be almost a laughable number. Now, you know, somebody's probably going to play this again back in January and say, really, you think, you know, because that's the way these things go. But uh, as we sit here in August, I – it's hard for me to, to wrap my head around the logic that, that puts this team at 5-11. and 11. I think we all know why you know people are high on Houston. Um, Jacksonville was last year's team of the moment. Um, I think everybody their realized. Their defense got even better. Their defense got better, but they still have Blake Bortles at quarterback. Yeah, they've um, got to figure that out. But Tennessee seems to be the, the whole new hotness of the moment this year. Why is that? Uh, some of it's the defensive improvement that they've made you know one of their biggest weaknesses last year was a the secondary they brought in logan ryan from the patriots i think that's going to make them better but i think a lot of it is just the growth of marcus Mariota. you know people want to see how he's going to be in year three he's a guy who's kind of taken a step forward every year so far in, in his development and they've got demarco murray back there in the backfield who, who really I think was the engine of that offense last year. They've added some more offensive weapons. Corey Davis early in the draft, Eric Decker through free agency. They feel like they're going to be a more powerful offensive team, a more prominent offensive team. And if you combine that with an improved defense, uh, you know, there's, there's really high hopes, but I think you can say a lot of the same things on the Colts side. So uh, the names weren't as big that came in, but I, th I think the Colts took a lot of the same steps. So it's going to be really interesting, I think, to watch the AFC South play out this year. You hardly ever say that. You never really think of that. I think all the games between all the division teams are going to be close. I think they're all going to be decided in the fourth quarter. I think it's going to be a really fun season to watch that play out. Once again, with the caveat, assuming Andrew Luck is healthy. Yeah. What do you think Marcus Mariota's ceiling is? Where Who does he project out to? That's a good question. I think ultimately they would love to see him become – the next Steve McNair. I mean, where he's at and in, in, in the role that he plays. McNair struggled early, I think, even more than Mariota has with, with the passing game. Uh, Marcus has picked that up a lot a lot quicker. He's He's been almost unstoppable in the red zone. It, his red zone numbers are unbelievable. They're better than Tom Brady's. Uh, it's really incredible to see some of the things he's done, but I think he still struggles a little bit on third down. At least in the games that, that we saw last year, when he played the Colts, you know, he still had some issues with his accuracy on those big third downs. And I think once he smooths that over, the sky's the limit for him. Uh, he's obviously athletic enough. He can go and make plays. The one caveat with him, and, and you say this all the time, and it's bitten the Colts a little bit with Andrew Luck, you know, he has to pick his spots. He's been injured 
each year so far that he's been in the league, he's injured. You know, he's ended the season not healthy. Uh, he's got to stay healthy for 16 games, and then you know they hope the playoffs to make that happen. One more horseshoe before we go uh, to a guy who's kind of been a dominant force in the middle so far. Yeah, Al Woods. I don't know that you're hearing a lot about him yet. He was kind of an under-the-radar free agent acquisition, but he has been dominant thus far uh, in just about every drill that they've had that's that's been a contact-related drill. Al Woods has been a force. Uh, he's a nose tackle. He's a big guy. It'll be interesting to see how they how they break everything down on the defensive line right now. Kendall Langford is on the pup list. So he hasn't practiced throughout, you know, the entire spring. He hasn't yet practiced in training camp. Henry Anderson's still coming back. He says he's 100% healthy, but still coming back from that ACL injury from two years ago. He looks good. He looks healthy. Uh, so you've got Hankins, Jonathan Hankins working out there with Anderson. And so far, they've put Al Woods in the middle. Now, that may change when Langford comes back because Hankins can play in the nose as well. But I think Al Woods is a guy that, that maybe doesn't come right to the top of everybody's mind. Uh, but a guy who's going to have an impact on this football team in 2017. That wraps up Horseshoes and Hand Grenades segment for this week. If you have nominations for Horseshoe or Hand Grenade, feel free to tweet them at George at GM Brummer. So, George, we will have a couple more days under our belts of training camp uh, before we come back with our next episode what do you want to see from the Colts in the next couple of days? Yeah, I think a lot of it is what John Simon was talking about. It's going to be interesting to see if that physicality that started on day one carries over. Is that still a thing, you know, uh, uh, next week? You know, after they've been in camp for a while and they've had the dog days. And I'll tell you, one of the days I'm most looking forward to right now, and probably you are as well, August 5th, a night practice, well, an evening practice. It's probably not even going to be dark, let's be honest, by the time the, the practice ends. But an evening practice at Warren Central High School. I think that's going to be an amazing environment. I think the, the players are going to respond to that. That's it for this episode of Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. Before we go, we want to give a big shout out to our friend Zach Johnson, who helped us put together the intro music and the bumps for this podcast. Also helped us clean up the audio a little bit this week. Uh, so thanks, Zach. We uh, couldn't do it without you. We'll be back next week with the next episode of Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast with CNHI Sports Indiana's George Bremer. For more Colts news and information, follow George on Twitter at GM Bremer. And join us next time for more of the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast.